Hi and welcome everyone to CRM Rocks. Today's podcast will be about continuous improvement and with me today I have Julie Jack. Julie Jack is Colorado-based Microsoft Dynamics CRM MVP service client across the globe, providing training, implementation, analysis and insight for companies wanting to take their service to the next level. Julie's blog, juliejack.com, addresses pertinent topics of the day, ranging from dynamic CRM to technology in education, to travel, to voting rights. Julie is an accomplished author and publisher with several books on different technologies under her belt. Julie is a community leader nationally, locally and online, serving on education committees and curriculum boards in the Colorado and as a founding member of SouthColorado.net and XRM Virtual Online. She knows how important it is to have your voice heard and been honored to speak to elected officials at the U.S. Capitol and to the executive staff at the White House. On topics of technology legislation, Julie loves to spend her free time traveling with her husband and kids. Welcome, Julie Jack. Thank you very much. That was quite the introduction. That's a long story. So you have been to the White House and educated the executive staff. How was that? Um, That was spectacular. One thing that I firmly believe in is taking part in the process. And so I'm honored to work with a group of other small business owners and with the Association for Competitive Technology. And they help make sure that we are well-versed in issues of the day where we might be able to make a difference. The Association for Competitive Technology works with small and medium-sized businesses and helps us to make sure that our voices are heard. And it was with that group that I was honored to be asked to speak with staff at the White House regarding several issues, but most importantly for me at the time was the quality of our STEM education. And STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. All those topics that um, tend to help kids in the long term. Okay, so how did you start into this sort of education and continuous improvement? Well, it's partially, you know, for myself, it's because I don't like to be bored. I, I always like a new challenge. I really love engaging my brain and my thought process and finding something new. But then as a parent and as, you know, a member of society, I feel it's definitely important to make sure that the next generation is also educated and given great opportunities. You have several Pluralsight courses, I think four right now. What's the Pluralsight courses about? So Pluralsight is an online learning environment. They've been around for a long time. I've actually known the executives and the founders of that organization for several years. They have recently gone and acquired some more companies and are getting a lot more content for more than just developers, but for also IT pros. But I was actually their first IT pro course that was offered, and it was on dynamic CRM and an intro to how to use it. And the goal behind that course was making sure that I went to where the developers are. I really think it's important that if you're going to be a developer, you need to understand the core product before you start trying to change the core product. And so having a course at Pluralsight really got me to the correct audience for that. Okay, so what do you think is the correct path or one path to start this improvement? Say if you're just you're at your company and you're trying to to get started with yeah, learning from your mistakes. Where where do you go? How do you start with this? How do you find the time? Well, if it's important to you, you find the time. And everyone takes a different path. 
So for you, you might enjoy podcasts and listening to them in your car on your commute to work. Um, for me, I don't do well trying to comprehend listening to things in the car. For me, driving in the car is about having loud music playing. Um, I'm not a books on tape person. I know several people who do that. Um, and if that works for you, that's a spectacular path. That way you're engaging in an environment that works for you. There are several places that one could go, everything from reading books to finding good blogs to attending user group meetings. You find the way that you learn and then make sure that you find that available content that's out there. If I, I, I'm trying to, to convince my employee, for example, that this is something we need to do, perhaps as a, as a corporation, but they're like saying, we're doing okay right now and we don't have the time to do this. We have a deadline. We have stuff to do, things to be. Well, if you are the employer, then it's to your benefit to make sure that your employees and your staff are continuing to improve themselves. As they continue to improve themselves, then their work continues to improve and you can continue to advance in technology. If you're a technology company that wants people to stay stagnant, then you're not going to be in technology for very long. Technology moves far too fast for people to not learn something new. If you're a small shop, let's say three to five CRM developers, and you're trying to get this going, where, where do you think that one as a corporate should start? Should they start uh, with subscribing to Pluralsight? Is, is that one way or how do you... Pluralsight is a great way to start. They definitely have a ton of content. So even if you're, you know, you want your staff to learn the CRM content, there's so much more available to them. So maybe they can, you know, continue to spark an interest and learn something new beyond the scope of the CRM work. But it's as an employer, you can make it a requirement for your staff to educate themselves, but you need to do that by example. You need to make sure that you are also continuing to improve yourself, that you show the example of wanting to learn, that you attend user group meetings, that maybe as an organization you sponsor user group meetings and offer pizza to the group when they come and encourage people to learn more, including yourself. Okay, so let's start a little bit here with the user groups. Are, are they easy to find, do you think? I believe that they are, but I know that I'm biased because I know how to find them. Okay, so where do I go to find them then? So there's a global organization for .NET developer user groups. It's called INETA, and you can find their website at www.ineta.org, I-N-E-T-A. That's the International .NET Association, and it's simply an organization who strives to help the developer user groups continue to serve their members. So we have things here in the United States, such as a speakers program that we help sponsor speakers to get to the meetings. We oftentimes have rural organizations that have a hard time getting speakers. And if we as a parent organization in INETA can help sponsor, say, a tank of gas to get a speaker to that rural location, then that group has more of an opportunity to serve its community. Okay, is this solely focused on CRM or are this more like everything in technology? It is essentially .NET developer user groups. Uh, the user group that I currently run, XRM Virtual, is a member of INETA. It's actually very few uh, CRM or Dynamics groups at all in this organization. It's definitely has a broader audience than just the Dynamics community. Okay, so this XRM Virtual is, uh, it sounds on the name that it's online based in XRM Virtual. That is correct. When Shan MacArthur and I founded the group five years ago, 
we decided that there there was such a specific need to be addressed, but in such a geographically diverse group, we couldn't do a traditional on-ground meeting. We had to do a virtual meeting. We have several thousand members, and every meeting we have, you know, up to 500 people attend at any given time. We have that many and more viewing recordings after the fact. And the community that we serve is just too spread out for us to be able to serve them all in person. There are offshoots and, and other groups that have formed after us that are the on-ground groups where they have a large enough concentration of CRM developers in their geographic location so they can meet in person. But that is actually the exception, not the, not the normal. CRM UG often gets uh, named while, while discussion user groups and CRM. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, CRMUG is a great organization. They're part of a larger group, the Dynamics Communities. I work with them often. I send them attendees. They send attendees to my meetings. They definitely have a different model. They have a paid membership model with a paid staff, and it seems to be working for them. I'm used to working with user groups that are volunteers and have free membership. It's just a different model. It just depends on how you want to work. There's nothing wrong with either one if it helps you serve your community. Okay, so if there's not one in my local um, community, how do I get started with a, with a user group? Well, you can make one. You can start your own user group. We have with um, the group at Ineta, we have mentors available that will help you with that process, help you figure out who your audience is and how to communicate with them. How do you find media space and sponsors and speakers? And, and we help with all of that. And Julie personally would love to help anybody who's trying to get those user groups off the ground. I really have a passion for helping to make sure people have access to professional growth opportunities. But isn't it hard to get people to, to speak and share about their um, experience and give away things that they have sort of learned themselves? This conversation actually comes up a fair bit in the competitive partner community. But I have the strong feeling that if you're worried that when you share your knowledge, you're going to lose customers or employees, then perhaps you have a bigger problem than the professional community. I would be so bold as to say that you can't afford to not be involved in your professional community. That, you know, in order to have personal growth, professional growth, business growth, you really need to be involved in that professional community. So according to you, there's more to gain to let the employees and uh, the organization discuss with others and let everybody grow. Absolutely. You're not sharing confidential customer information. You're not violating any of those agreements. You're sharing knowledge and know-how and you're helping everyone grow together and it improves the reputation that all of us have as consultants or members of our profession, that if we all continue to help one another and grow together, then we continue to have that good reputation and a steady stream of work. Okay, so most of these uh, XRM Virtual and CRM UD, are they based on dynamic CRM or all they, are they CRM in general or what, what's the focus? The ones that I'm involved in, which would include XRM Virtual and the CRM UG communities, are all focused on dynamic CRM. I know that there are other user groups out there, but I am in a fortunate position that I don't need to be concerned with them, that I'm definitely focused on dynamic CRM, and that's what I'm known for. That's what our organization is known for. 
And so people don't come to me asking for advice on competing products. No one's going to come and ask me to sell them Salesforce. I'm just not qualified for that. Uh, okay. What do you think about uh, reading books? I mean, there are a lot of things happening really fast. Is the book sort of uh, relevant in this fast-paced moving environment? I think books certainly have a level of relevance. I think that they're definitely good for the fundamentals that the more specific of a topic you're looking for, you're more likely going to find information more readily available in blogs and podcasts and a YouTube channel and things like that. But for the core fundamentals, nothing beats a good book. Okay, and you've written several books, including The Serum Field Guide. Well, The Serum Field Guide is a collection of almost 20 authors. All of the authors on the book are Microsoft uh, Dynamics CRM MVPs, and we have a new version of the field guide that's in the editing process now. We're plugging away. It's a thousand pages of work. So we're going through and, and editing and formatting and getting the book ready to publish. But again, there you have the, the knowledge of some of the most well-known global experts on this technology um, all put into one book. Are there any other books that that you recommend, uh, like a, a startup book or something like that? There's not a ton of them on the market right now for Sayer in 2013. It's it's a risk as a publisher to want to put a book out on technology that changes so quickly. And so I believe there may be one or two books out now. I'm not exactly sure. I've been too focused on the two that I'm trying to get out the door. Okay. Um. So do you feel that when the pace goes up, uh, the the number of books on Dynamic Serum, for example, will go down then? Absolutely. There's no choice. It's It's not an overnight process to create a book. Um, even for people who write quickly, it definitely takes some work and it's more than a team of one person that should be working on it. You should definitely have a collection of people who can get that book through to the end. Okay, so if you have a product there that's have scheduled like six releases in a year, that that's a, a lot more than, than a book can keep up with. Absolutely, that is correct. And so as a publisher, the ways you can handle some of that is to have supplemental electronic content available for people to download with the purchase of the book. And so keeping up with updates is different than publishing a whole book. Okay, so so if the, the product itself is keeping a really fast pace, how do I, as a developer, keep up with that pace? I mean, if there's a schedule updates, not just roll-ups, but uh, like service packs that include new features, that's a fast pace. It is a fast pace, and you have to decide and then act and make sure that you just say, this is what I'm going to do, and you will find time. If that means that you're watching a podcast on Saturday night, then you're watching a podcast on Saturday night. You have to make a commitment to that continuous improvement. And then see, see it through. How do you do? For me, part of it is my job that I have to keep up to date on the new things to better serve my clients. We do a lot of training and a lot of creation of training materials. And so in order to create those training materials, I have to be the expert on that topic. And in order to be the expert on the topic, I have to keep up. I have to participate in as many early access programs that they'll let me in. I have to be up to date on the blogs and I have to pay attention to the release cycle and whatever it, what everybody else is publishing and putting out on the web, I have to have an awareness of so that I can keep up. So do you like take two hours out of each day and 
read blogs and listen to podcasts or or uh, watch something online? Um, no, not really. It will come and go in spurts. Um, if I'm traveling, then I'll tend to find time to read things on airplanes, on long flights. If I'm preparing to make a course on a topic, then while we're working on the contracts or things of that nature, I make sure that I'm as current as I possibly can be. It's not something that I just schedule. It's something that I just do. Do you ever go back and, and think about, okay, this I could have done better, sort of not just reading up on the the product, but sort of improving your own skills? Okay, I made a, an error here or missed something there. Yes, I think that any solid professional will do a, you know, a look back and see how things are at the end of a project. And I would hope that I, I continue to mature in my career that those those bad decisions are fewer and fewer um, as I go yeah, along. Otherwise, hope. I'm really doing something wrong. So how do you get into this sort of learning mode? Is there a special way for you to say, like, you, you say you find the time, but when you, you have found the time how do you sort of get into the mode do you lock yourself in or do you yeah how do you do it you see i feel that i'm always in learning mode even when i'm teaching i know that all of my students have something that i can learn that i'm always in learning mode so if it's something that i have to read that's you know great minute details lots of text and you know kind of monotonous then for me, for that particular type of learning, I do better in a quiet environment, which I can get here at the office by simply closing my door, or I can go work from home and have that same experience. But I, yeah, I, I don't go into learning mode. I'm always in learning mode. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's uh, comforting in sort of a way. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> Perhaps exhausting. <laughs> Always picking up stuff. But uh, if uh, if I'm looking at this where you're trying to improve your process or, or something like that and you're having a, a sort of really long project, do you find that you take sort of time in the middle and not just in the end to sort of have a retrospect or, or something that you can look back on these projects? The fast turnaround on projects that we've been doing lately doesn't leave room for that. When your deadline is is fast approaching from the time you push start on the project, there's not time for that in the middle. You just have to make sure that you engage people that have the right skill sets that can, you know, produce the work in that time frame that you're looking for. And I would hope that at this point in my career, that's a skill set that I have. Okay, so if one of your developers come to you and say, okay, I can't solve this problem right now, how, how do you address that skill or or lack of skill i will take ownership of that particular piece that they're worried about and give them other work people here at, at our organization always have something to do there's always project work lined up or internal projects to work on so i will then take ownership of that item and see to it that it gets resolved through a more senior resource or reach out to other experts that I know and ask those questions to get the answers and then give it back to that person. Okay, so you give that this is how this other person done it. You can look at this and sort of next time this is how you do it. Right, absolutely. Or let them finish it, give it back to them so that they can then get the skill and do it themselves. 
okay, do you ever put them together? Like say, okay, go take two hours and go pair program together with him or her. Absolutely. And then we also are oftentimes on the other side of that. We provide the mentoring for our client staff so that when we're working on a project together and they get stumped, then they come to us and we, you know, assign them a mentor to be on their team that will guide them and send them in the right direction so that they can solve their own problems and learn the skills themselves. Um, what do you think about formal education? Is is that something that you think is really important? I have mixed feelings on it. I, I've got a master's degree, so I obviously personally see the value in education, but I see it for me, for my reasons. I don't know how much that degree helps me in my day-to-day life, work or otherwise. I'm very leery of someone who only has education and certifications. I'd really prefer someone that has real-world skills and practice those skills. So if I had to pick a developer that had, you know, three pages of certifications and degrees versus one that had three years of experience, I'd pick the one with three years of experience first. Um, It's made far too easy to read a book and pass a test that that's not necessarily a true value of skills. It is an unfortunate reality that we have people who are just good test takers, so they take all the tests they can get, but I'd really much rather have someone who can do the work, not just pass a test. And with the technical certifications, you're thinking about the certifications, the example for dynamic CRM from Microsoft. Um, that's one example, but you know, I've got certifications hanging on the wall right next to the degrees that I have hanging on the wall. They don't mean anything if you can't do anything. So so what are those type of certifications or exams that, that you have? They're in dynamics. They're in project management. I'm trying to read them from here. They're too far away for me to read. Um, okay, but, so... <laughs> but it, for me, it's, I, I understand the value in the exam and certification process. I totally understand it. It's one way to measure the skills that you have. But if... Taking a test proves to me that you're good at taking a test. And I need someone who's also good at doing the work. And a test cannot evaluate that. But isn't a test also a little bit about that you're good to learn new stuff? It can be, but I've interviewed far too many people who have simply studied and taken a test. When you ask those technical questions in an interview and try to get responses and real-world experiences, they just give you test answers. And test answers don't help you serve a client. There's a lot of sites out there, let's call them brain dumps. And uh, for a certain amount of money, you can buy the correct answers to all the certifications that you ever need. Absolutely. Perfect illustration of why exam certifications have less value than they should because you can go out and buy the answers. Have you ever used one of those? No. Would you recommend it? No, because I think you should have the knowledge to take the test, not just have the answers. Those technical certifications, example for uh, for dynamic CRM, they can be sort of nitty-gritty sometimes. I'm, yes. I'm sure you've taken some of those. I've, I've written some of those exams. All right. <laughs> so uh, do you think that's on purpose or is it yeah what do you think about questions like that well how do you write an exam for a product that changes every six months 
You tell me. It's virtually impossible. That's one of the faults in the system is that the exams only come every major release, but the product changes. So like right now, if I were to try to get a trial organization to take and pass an exam, it may not have the same feature set that was referenced in writing the exam questions. And so that's one of the problems created by the rapid release cycle. Do you think that technical certifications are still valid or do you think that Microsoft should just throw them away? They are not valid on their own. They are valid in combination with other skills. Um, so you said that you had a master's degree. What's that in? I have a master's degree in business administration. So not at all technology-based, but I feel that perhaps that experience helps me better serve my clients because I can take their business needs, quickly learn them, and turn them into technology. How did you get starting in, in technology then? By accident. I had worked in Kinko's for more than a decade, um, all over the place in all kinds of different roles, and I'd reached a point in my career there where the the next step for me would have been involving a lot of travel. My kids were really small, and so I left that organization, and my husband and I started a company he had been consulting for years. It was something he had been interested in for a much longer time, and then after we started our consulting company, I was just kind of helping out a little bit. Um, running the business aspect of the company because that's what I was good at. And then I broke my leg and I really, really broke my leg, like compound fracture. Um, I had titanium rod from my knee to my ankle. It was pretty complex break. Is and, it still there? Um, I, I still have a titanium ankle and I will forever have a titanium ankle. Okay. Um, but then, um, while I was stuck not being able to do anything or go anywhere for six months, my husband put a laptop on my lap and said, let's make some software. And it's it just clicked. It just made sense to me. So things kind of took off from there. And that was more than 10 years ago. Interesting. Trying to reflect on what we have said here. So if my organization doesn't really have a way to, to try to improve right now, what's your five top recommendations? Well, let me ask you this question before I answer it. Okay. Are you in the role of the employer who makes policy? Are you in the role of the employee who has to abide by policy? Uh, let's let's start with, the, I think the most audience is uh, developers here. So I am an employee and my employer doesn't really think that it's necessary right now, perhaps later. Find time in your day. Find time where you, you know, you made that project estimate and you, you know, you overestimated the time needed for the task. So you have a spare half an hour. Go learn something new in that spare half an hour. Go find something that you can then take to your boss and say, look at this cool new thing I learned. Can I schedule some time to continue to learn more and then bring it to them on how it can impact their business and make their business better because the staff is then more efficient because they're learning new things and can get things done better and faster. So that's really just one recommendation. Correct. Do that. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> okay. Because everyone has their own style of learning. And so for me to dictate somebody else's style to receive that knowledge really doesn't make any sense. But as a business owner, then I can you know see the business aspect of it. And you need to make sure that your employer sees the business aspect of it. And then what you have learned, try to teach your colleagues. 
Correct. Encourage an environment of learning. Have you know internal you, you know presentations and sharing of knowledge. In- sponsor the user groups. See to it that your employees are given time to attend code camps and different events like that, where they can continue to increase their bucket of skills. So, what have stomped you recently? I I can't share that because it's confidential client project information. Okay. <laughs> but let's just say <laughs> that I've had in the last two weeks, I've had a couple of times where I've been banging my head against the wall trying to figure something out. But so far. Cursing so the product. Cursing something, yes. Cursing some. Okay, let let's keep it at that. <laughs> Have you tried a lot of different ISV products? Nope. Nope. I live in a world where that's really irrelevant. All right. So you have no best ISV product that you would like to recommend? No, not really. Well, all right. So uh, <laughs> what's your next challenge? What what are you going to do next? Right now, we've got some pretty hefty deadlines at the end of this month. And so just very focused on that, you know, better deadlines after the end of the month. And it's at that point that I'll have an opportunity to take the luxury to think about what might be next. But right now, for the month of June, I have to think about right now. Hmm. The unfortunate reality of being a consultant. I I know how it is. I know how it is. Okay. Thank you, Julie, for your participation in CRM Rocks. Thank you very much for inviting me and for hosting me. Yeah, and thank you for listening. And don't forget that you can comment on crimrocks.com. See you next time on CRM Rocks.